Our scripture reading from today comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, verses 20 through 23, and Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 3. First from Matthew. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Then from Hebrews, Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by a son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also created the worlds. He is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being, and he sustains all things by his powerful word. When he had made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gift of your son at this season. Lord, help us to realize the beauty of the incarnation, the power of Jesus' life, not just his death and resurrection. Lord, by your spirit, help us to follow in his example. Lord, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. I was thrilled to become a pastor in June of 1988. It was a dream come true. But I did live in perpetual fear of my first funeral. I was just a kid with minimal training. I mean, really, I had had five weekends of training as a pastor at that point. I didn't know what to do at a funeral. I mean, I knew some scripture verses to read and so forth, but I I didn't know how to really speak healing words to a family. The death of a loved one is such a crisis moment. I didn't know what to do, but I certainly knew that I didn't want to mess it up. Well, it was 6.30 on an August Monday morning when that call finally came. I picked up the phone and I heard Alma Moss's trembling voice on the other end of the line. Her husband, Hill, had died. It shook me. Over the two months I had been his pastor, I had gotten pretty close to Hill He was there the day that I moved in, and it was Hill that really gave me the courage to begin this career. Hill was 70 years old, and he was the unquestioned leader of his church. His voice truly carried more weight, more authority than anybody else in the church. On the day that I moved in, I spoke with Hill, and I said, I'd I'd like to get the church together and find out what they want to do and see how I can help you achieve your vision. Hill stopped me right away. He looked me dead in the eyes and says, Preacher, you're our pastor. You tell us which way to go and we'll follow. Well, that floored me. This 70-year-old seasoned church member, this true leader of the church, had that much confidence in this 22-year-old first-time pastor. Hill gave me the confidence and the courage to lead. Really made a difference in the early years of my ministry and perhaps transformed my whole career. Now he was dead, and it was my job to comfort Alma. It was my job to say something that would matter, something that would ease her pain. I didn't know what to do. I raced to Alma's house. I went out back where she was sitting on the patio, and I sat down next to her, and I took her hand. 
I sat next to Alma and I silently prayed, God, tell me what to say. Give me words that will be meaningful. I quite frankly don't remember what I said, but I do remember sitting there next to her for a long time. Over the next 48 hours, we spent a good bit of time together. We met with the family to plan the service. We went to the funeral home. We were there on Monday night for visitation. Uh, Alma asked me to do the service. I got to be honest with you. I was hoping that she would want to invite another pastor to come assist so we'd at least have somebody that knew what they were doing. But Alma looked at me and said, you were Hill's pastor. I want you to do the service. And so there I was. It was time to confront this this perpetual fear that had been gnawing at me since becoming a pastor. Uh, We did the funeral at 2 o'clock on Tuesday afternoon. After the service was over, Alma hugged me and told me she didn't know how she would have gotten through this without me. I was quite confused, really. I knew that I stumbled through, and I'm not really sure how I had made any kind of difference to anybody. In fact, I confessed to Alma that this was my first sermon, and I was afraid that I really didn't know what I was doing, and I hoped that what I had done was okay. Alma said to me, though, you were there. She didn't talk about the scripture verses I had chosen or about the message. She said, you were there, and that's what made the difference. Years later, her children invited me back to do, uh, to do her funeral. Apparently, my presence had been important to them as well. We too often underestimate the importance of just being there. Well, in a much greater way, God showed up for us at Christmas. Matthew identifies him as Emmanuel. The word translates as God with us. The all-powerful God of the universe became one of us. He became truly human in every way. The limitless God fully experienced the limits of humanity, even confining himself to the body of a baby boy. Sometimes we rush past that fact too quickly. We can be so anxious to get to the Easter story that we miss the 33 years preceding it. Increasingly, it shows up in our, in our Christmas decorations. Our Easter decorations wind up invading the nativity. The cross begins to overshadow the manger. Uh, we preachers uh, are, can be heard saying things like, Jesus was born to die. I know that I've done it. We use this Advent Christmas season to foreshadow what's coming in a few months with Easter. And to be sure, Easter is our story. We are Easter people. But the 33 years before Easter matter as well. Jesus didn't just die for us. He also lived for us. He became one of us to show us what humanity looks like. He lived as an example for us to follow, not just a sacrifice for our sins. Jesus didn't just die for us. He lived as one of us. Easter is coming. But for now, let's fully embrace the incarnation. Incarnation, God enfleshed. That's what the word means. In carne. Carne, the word for flesh. Jesus didn't just appear to be human. He truly was human. He experienced everything that we experienced. He had headaches. He had a tired back after a long day of of work. Uh, He experienced the pain of stumping his pinky toe in the middle of the night. He knew joy. 
He knew sadness. He knew loneliness. And he certainly knew disappointment. He grieved when he when his earthly dad, Joseph, passed away. The Bible doesn't tell us that story, but tradition indicates that Joseph died while Jesus was still on earth. And Jesus experienced that grief, that loss. He knows what it is to lose a parent. Jesus was tempted with pride, with envy, with greed, even with lust. In fact, the writer of Hebrews tells us that Jesus was tempted in all things, yet he remained without sin. We have a God who understands what we're going through. He's been there. He's done it. He gets it. He relates. Now, 2020 has been a horrible year for so many people. It's like nothing we could have imagined. We've been through loneliness, fear. Uh, There's been disappointment, isolation, and of course, sickness and way too many deaths. We continue to pray for all of those families who are losing loved ones, approaching 300,000 by the time you listen to this. We've been through a really rough year, but we've not been through it alone. The incarnation is a promise that God would be with us, that Jesus would show up and be present in the best of times, but certainly in the worst of times as well. Uh, Jesus shares in our human struggles. He has been there with us. But Jesus is not only with us in the hard times, he knows the way out. He not only came to get down into our way of life, but he also lived in a way to lead us out into a better life. Please allow me to share this story with you, uh, originally shared by Paul Harvey. One raw winter night, the man heard an irregular thumping sound against the kitchen storm door. He went to a window and watched as tiny, shivering sparrows, attracted to the evident warmth inside, beat in vain against the glass. Touched, the farmer bundled up and trudged through fresh snow to open the barn for the struggling birds. He turned on the lights, tossed some hay in a corner, and sprinkled a trail of saltine crackers to direct them to the barn. But the sparrows, which had scattered in all directions when he emerged from the house, still hid in darkness, afraid of him. He tried various tactics, circling behind the birds to drive them toward the barn, tossing cracker crumbs in the air toward them, retreating to his house to see if they'd flutter into the barn on their own. Nothing worked. He, a huge alien creature, had terrified them. The birds could not understand what he actually that he actually desired to help. He withdrew to his house and watched the doomed sparrows through a window. As he stared, a thought hit him like lightning out from a clear blue sky. If only I could become a bird, one of them, just for a moment, then I wouldn't frighten them so. I could show them the way to warmth and safety. At the same moment, another thought dawned on him. He had grasped the whole principle of the incarnation. A man's becoming a bird is nothing compared to God's becoming a man. The concept of a sovereign being as big as the universe he created, confining himself to a human body, was and is too much for some people to believe. What an incredible insight. You see, God in all of his majesty is too much for us to comprehend. Uh, God told Moses, 
that if you look on my form, if you look on me, you'll die. It'll be too much for you to handle. And so at that first Christmas, God put on a form that we could understand, a form that we could relate to, a form that hopefully we could follow out of our sorrow and distress and brokenness into a new way of life. As a human, Jesus suffers our struggles. As God, he can lead us out. And that's our prayer, that as we learn to follow Christ, as we learn to surrender ourselves to him, that we will follow him into a restored, a renewed human life. Jesus reveals God to us. We get to reveal God to others. That's what I was able to do for Alma. In a small way, as I sat on Alma's back patio, I got to help her understand who God is in the midst of her sorrow. Jesus showed us what God is like. He's a friend of sinners. He feeds the hungry. He heals the sick. He visits those that are sick and imprisoned. He embraced the outcast. Jesus has unfathomable love that we don't deserve and we can't earn, but he gives it anyway. That's what God looks like. The Apostle John had no better way to sum up the, the true nature of God than simply with three words. God is love. Jesus revealed that love to us. Now, Jesus has called us to reveal God to others. We are called to incarnational ministry. Everything we do in ministry should be to incarnate God to the world around us. We should put flesh on who God is to all of the world around us. Well, how do we do that? Well, the same way Jesus did. By doing the same things that Jesus did in the name of Christ, then people began to see who God really is. By being the friend of sinners, by feeding the hungry, by visiting the sick and imprisoned, by being involved in healing ministries, by embracing the outcast, by sharing that incredible, unconditional love that we cannot earn and we don't deserve. When we love others in that way, when we allow God to love others that way through us, then they have a glimpse of who God is. That's our calling. That's our role in ministry to put flesh on the God who saved us so that others can see him as well. Each day, empowered by the Holy Spirit, may we demonstrate who God is to our world. Amen.